I'm going to guess that many of you would have seen this movie. Uh, it's called Groundhog Day. It starred Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. It's the story about a TV news presenter who keeps reliving the same day over and over again. He's gone to a small town in America, a town called Puxatawney in Pennsylvania, and he's gone there for Groundhog Day to cover this story. Well, he covers the story, but then he wakes up the next morning and it's Groundhog Day again. And this keeps happening day after day after day. He keeps reliving exactly the same day over and over again. Well, I think you can kind of get that Groundhog Day feeling when it comes to looking at the book of Revelation and especially when it comes to the passage that we're looking at today. Uh, We read through this section where there are seven seals being broken, terrible events happening throughout the world. And then in chapter 8, we see the seven trumpets being sounded. And again, it's more terrible events right around the world. It, It may feel a little bit like Groundhog Day, but I think that's actually part of the point. We're shown these things that are almost repeats, the same events that are happening, just a little bit different from each other. I think John is showing us something about the world that we live in and what we can look forward to living in this world. I remember hearing John Chapman, now John was an evangelist for many years with the Anglican Church, and I remember him saying one time that the book of Revelation was written for stupid people and old people. It was written for stupid people because he said it's just the same message being repeated over and over again. And he said that it's written for old people because whenever anyone's speaking in the book of Revelation, they're always speaking in a loud voice. Have you have you noticed that? I've got a couple just from the passage we're looking at today. They called out in a loud voice. Everyone is speaking in a loud voice. And John suggests, John Chapman's suggestion is that that's because it's written for old people. Anyway... Let's pick it up from the beginning of chapter 6. Last week we looked at chapter 5 and Jesus had taken the scroll from God's hand. Remember, the lamb has taken the scroll and now he begins to break the seals on the scroll. God's plans and purposes for the world are being unfolded, enacted. And this is one of the parts of Revelation that people feel probably most familiar with. We have the four horsemen of the apocalypse here at the beginning of chapter 6. And for those Clint Eastwood fans, that's where his movie Pale Rider came from. The fourth horseman in the apocalypse. He is death, who who, uh, who, uh, brings death with him as he rides into town. The four horsemen, we're told, go riding out with each of these four seals that are broken on the scroll. The first horseman, we're told, is a conqueror who's bent on conquest. The second one takes peace from the earth. The third one, it's a little bit more cryptic. It's the one that talks about weighing things in the scales. I think it's talking about economic hardship or possibly famine. The fourth seal is that pale rider who, uh, with Hades following behind him. Now, the four horsemen bring horror on the earth, but then in the fifth seal... The scene changes completely. It's a different thing. It's no longer horsemen that are riding out. We actually look under the altar and we see those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They're under the altar and they're asking a question. Have a look at it. Chapter 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they'd maintained. 
They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? They're asking, when's God going to bring judgment? When's he going to bring justice to this world? So there's a sense in which the four horsemen, they're not that judgment. They're not the ones who are bringing about the final justice to this world. And then they get this answer in verse number 11. Then each of them, that is the believers who were slain because of their testimony, was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Sadly, there will be more who will die because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And then we come to the sixth seal, verse number 12. Now, when you read through this, this has got real Old Testament imagery attached to it. There's a very strong day of the Lord language in from the Old Testament here. The day of the Lord was going to be the great and dreadful day, the day that God brings about judgment, but also the day that God brings about salvation. And, and look, the people are hiding in the rocks, covering themselves because they don't want to face God's judgment. Verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? They don't want to face God's judgment. Now are we supposed to think that this Is the end that this is the final judgment taking place? Well, no, I don't think so. The Old Testament prophets talk about the day of the Lord, the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and they describe it in that kind of language as we've seen in Revelation. But do you know where the New Testament writers pick that up? Do you know where the New Testament writers see the great and dreadful day of the Lord? They see it in the death of Jesus on the cross. That's when they see the sky being darkened. That's when they see the earth being shaken. That's when God's judgment is poured out on the earth. On Jesus, who bears the penalty for our sins. So it's no surprise that when you get to chapter 7, what are they doing? We've got another complete change of scene. The seals are forgotten for a moment. We'll get back to the last seal in a minute. We had this little interlude in chapter 7. And what happens in the interlude? They're singing songs of praises because of God's salvation. Makes complete sense to see the sixth seal as being the death of Jesus on the cross because now they're singing songs in heaven about how God saves, how God rescues through the Lamb. Now jump over chapter 7, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Uh, Go to chapter 8 and we've got the seals are now finished at the beginning of chapter 8. And then we have the trumpets, but that last seal is broken. And what are we told at the beginning of chapter 8? There's silence in heaven for half an hour. There seems to be a sense of completeness about what's happened here. But then come the trumpets. And this is where it starts to feel a little bit like Groundhog Day. Haven't we just heard this? Didn't, Didn't this already happen on the earth? And look at the judgments that we see. These ones are are of Exodus style. It's almost paralleling what we see in the story of Exodus, the plagues that are being sent on the earth. Uh, Exodus has fire and hail coming down from heaven. Trumpet number one, verse seven, hail and fire 
and blood come down from heaven. Um, in Exodus, we read about the plague of darkness. In, in, in Re- Revelation 8.12, the fourth trumpet is sounded and the sun and the moon and the stars, a third of them are struck down. In Exodus, there is a plague of locusts, but here in the fifth trumpet, the beginning of chapter 9, locusts like scorpions come and torment the people. And it seems completely crazy, but have a look at chapter 9, verse number 20. After the hardship and the suffering that people of the world have endured, they seem to be hardened towards God as a result of all of this. Verse 20 of chapter 9. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. Jump over the seventh trumpet and can you, um, can you find chapter 11? And find verse number 15. Because after the seventh trumpet has sounded, there's this rejoicing that takes place in heaven and it's important for us to see this. Verse 15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, give thanks to, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who was and because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and your saints those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Confused yet? You might be when you read through it, but again, it's this weird thing that I'm sure that if you step back and just look at the big picture, it's actually quite simple. If you want to go into the passage and try and identify every single thing and figure out what every little image represents, well, I think you will end up quite confused. But the big picture is just glaringly obvious, isn't it? The big picture is just what we saw in Revelation 4 and 5. God is in control, completely in control of all things that are taking place, even the horrible things that are happening in this world. We saw it in chapter 4 and chapter 5. God is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne with him. Jesus takes the scroll and opens the seals. Uh, These things only happen because God and Jesus allow them to happen. And then at the end of chapter 11, what do we see? God's still on the throne. The 24 elders still falling down on their face and worshipping God and saying, now is the time for judgment to happen. For all of the horror that we see in these chapters... God is in control. The directions for the angels and the horsemen, those directions come from heaven. But what is it that's happening here? What are all these plagues? What are these horsemen doing? 
This is one of those passages in Revelation where people want to jump in and try and identify things and try and make them parallel to events in our human history. They see four, seven seals and seven trumpets and they want to find 14 events from history, either from history or predict 14 events that are going to be happening sometime in the future. They want to give dates and times to these things. People will point to things like the tsunami that took place in Indonesia or other horrors that we see around the world and say, well, that's clearly what we're seeing here in Revelation. But I've got to say, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for those sorts of views. You can find horrific things happening in our world anytime. In fact, all the time. Uh, let me give you a couple of the, the major things that have happened in our world, major horrific events. Let's go backwards in history. Let's start with World War II. 50 million people, they believe, were killed during World War II. Always really hard to get numbers, but around about 50 million people. World War I, 20 million people were killed in World War I. But what sometimes uh, confuses the numbers with World War I was that the Spanish flu went through the world at that time as well, and more than 50 million people, estimates are somewhere between 50 and 100 million people, died from the Spanish flu which was happening at around the same time as the First World War. Jump back a little earlier than that. I hadn't even heard of this one until I found it on Wikipedia. Ten million people died in a famine in India. A third of the population of India died. Jump back a little earlier, we've got the plague, the Black Death. 75 million people, one third of the population of Europe died at that time. Jump back even further to 540, the plague of Justinian, they estimate that 100 million people died in Europe, half of the population of Europe. You don't have to go too far to find events that look like they might be the kind of thing that we're describing here in Revelation. That's just with a tiny little bit of research looking on Wikipedia, I found all of that. But do you know what's happening here with these four horsemen? Do you know what we're seeing with these trumpets? We're seeing the Channel 9 evening news. This is just the world that we live in. The kind of things that happen in our world all the time. If you're old enough, you'll remember the band Skyhooks. They had a song that said exactly that. Horror movie, right there on my TV. Horror movie, shocking me out of my brain. Horror movie. It's the 6.30 news. That's what this is. That's what we're seeing in all of these chapters in Revelation. We're seeing these seals and these trumpets. It's not specific events that we're supposed to name and date. Horrible things happen in our world all the time. Horrible things happen and even the saints get caught up in it. Even those who are seeking to be faithful to Jesus will suffer. And maybe even suffer simply for trying to be faithful to Jesus. Let me show you one more thing. And and I, I found this helpful and I hope you will as well. There's a bit of a pattern that actually happens in these two sections. They kind of are paralleled. It's sort of supposed to be Groundhog Day. Uh, This is the pattern. We have the four horsemen starting first. Then there's a, a different thing with the martyrs under the altar. And then we have that day of the Lord. And then we have the silence in heaven. But did you see the blue one, that little interlude, the 144,000 and the multitude singing God's praises? Then go over to the trumpets. 
The earth, the sea, the rivers and the sky are, are hit by, the, by these terrible things happening. But then there's something different that happens with the locusts and their torment. And then there's armies killing a third of the people. Then again, we have another interlude and then we have another scene in heaven. They kind of almost parallel each other. But it's the interludes that are the interesting thing. What do the interludes do? Well, they kind of serve a bit of a purpose of... Uh, creating some tension as we're undoing each of these seals and listening to each of these trumpets. We we change to a different place in those interludes. So go to chapter 7 and we see this interlude of 144,000. Before the angels can go out, it says at the beginning of chapter 7, before the angels can go out and do any harm on the earth, it actually says that God's people must receive a mark of protection on their forehead. And John sees this 144,000 people who are the people of God, they are the ones that God knows. They are the ones who are marked out as God's people. They're protected by him and not one of them will be lost. That doesn't mean that they won't suffer because we've already seen them sitting under the altar. We know that they're suffering and we know that they will even die, but they won't be lost because they are marked out by God. Chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked and there before me was a multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, in the midst of all of these seals being broken... In the midst of all of the horror of these four horsemen, we have this vision that's supposed to encourage God's people and reassure them that salvation belongs to God. God's people are singing his praises because he's the one who saves. They need not fear. They're marked by God. They won't be lost. They won't miss out. Now the second interlude is a little bit more complicated if you've read through it. It's a story about these two witnesses, kind of like Old Testament prophets they seem to be. And how does the world treat those who want to testify for God? Well, in this interlude, it kills them, treats them shamefully, celebrates their death. But in the end, they're raised to life by God. While they may suffer and even die, God will be the one who will raise them up. So you've got to keep remembering who this letter is written to. This is written to these seven churches in Western Turkey where they're beginning to face some pretty serious persecution just for believing in Jesus. These Christians knew that if they were going to be faithful to Jesus, well, it may well mean suffering and possibly even death. And this vision is encouraging them to keep going, to keep pressing on, to keep preaching the gospel. Now, I think this has some pretty direct application for us today. See, when you see hardship and suffering in our world, when you see a tsunami that kills thousands of people, or when you see the world slip into the global financial crisis, or when you hear that 50 people have been killed with a bomb in Afghanistan... You read about Christians being imprisoned in North Korea. Well, part of what this passage says is, don't be surprised. That's what our world is like. 
But the encouragement to the original readers, I think, is the same as the encouragement to us. The first piece of advice is, don't worry. God has placed his mark of protection on his people. That's not to say that bad things won't happen, but it does mean that your future is absolutely secure. The day will come when you will be amongst that multitude. If you have your faith in Jesus, the day will come when you will be amongst that multitude, singing praises around the throne. The day will come when you will be among those from every tribe, every nation, every language, singing God's praises and singing the praises of the Lamb who saved us. So until then... We can face life with confidence because we know our God is in control. But another thing that's got to come out of a passage like this is that we ought to be seeking to serve and encourage and support those who are suffering for their faith in Jesus. Given the freedoms that we have in this country, given the prosperity that we have in this country, We can't be indifferent about the sufferings of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. We've heard from Rob uh, possibilities of things that we can do. Maybe just as simple as writing a letter to someone saying, we're praying for you, we love you, and we want to make sure that we are caring for our brothers and sisters. It may be financial support, it may be simply praying, it may be just being better informed so that you can actually tell others about what's happening. But the message that comes through loud and clear the whole way through the book of Revelation is keep testifying. Keep testifying. There's an expression that gets used all the way through Revelation. It talks about uh, the word of God and the, the, the testimony of Jesus. Those two things are really the same thing as far as Revelation is concerned. And we need to keep putting that message out there. See, we live in a world that doesn't know what to do when bombs go off in Bali or when planes fly into skyscrapers in New York. People throw their hands in the air, desperately looking for hope somewhere. And we're the ones who have the hope. We're the ones who have the word of God. We're the ones who can actually testify about Jesus. So next time you're talking with your friends and they're bemoaning the terrible things that happen in our world, you've got something to say, haven't you? You've got something to contribute to that discussion. Next time you're in that conversation where people are expressing their hopelessness about things, make sure that you share your hope. We need to make sure that we keep testifying. 